0: You are listening to The Recovered Therapist, brought to you by FreshOutOfPlans.com. I'm Jeannie Griffin, and I'll be your host. Instead of focusing on labels, diagnoses, and psychobabble, we keep things honest, simple, and hopeful, so that you can grow personally and spiritually. Thank you for joining me. Well, I don't normally discuss politics. I feel like I need to address it somewhat In this podcast, so I have a website called Fresh Out of Plans, and I have a three-month course roadmap to freedom course where I teach basically three pillars or three steps to um, live in a state of peace, and that all that can be looked at on my website freshoutofplans.com. And just briefly, the first pillar or uh, body of work that I suggest people go through is uh, to examine the mind uh, and untangle it. So I call that module Untangling the Mind. The second module or the second step would be to um, experience the invisible, um, to experience or get in touch with the mystery uh, what are your spiritual practices and um, how you reach out for that um, unknown, invisible entity or experience? Uh, some people would call that God. Some people call it the Great Spirit, Jehovah. Some people find that calm and that that spiritual connection in nature. And so we would go through trying to discern for you how you would get in touch with that and bring that into the second part of the puzzle. And then the third part would be reaching out to a community or a tribe that sustains you and supports you uh, while you also support them. So the community is for two purposes. One is to reach out and and uh, be of service, and the latter one is to ask people to reach out to you and help support you. So um, I've had to apply that to my life this week in the last several days. Um, I did during the pandemic. And, but um, So I want to just take what's happened in the last few days with the January 6th hearings and learning more, more about the insurrection or the attempted coup on our country and the... Uh, recent ruling by the Supreme Court uh, overturning a law or a, a precedent that has been in existence for 50 years. And uh, so without debating the politics of it, I want to just look at the process. So I've been disturbed by both. I originally went to college and majored in political science, government, and history, and I taught history and government in the high school for a long time before I became a therapist. So uh, American history was my thing to teach, and I used to be one of very few women, if not the only woman in the history department. The rest were all coaches. So I would do a segment on the Civil War, and I would teach about slavery, and I used to, long before there were any things like videos or slides and stuff. I would time slides to music, and and I remember showing uh, images about slavery and the terrible hanging in the Civil War, I mean, uh, the Ku Klux Klan and all of that after the Civil War. And, and um, timing that to music, and the music that I would play was Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young's Southern Man. And I used to have students that were not my students come in and ask if they could sit in my class and see it. And um so I loved teaching it and you know, most people don't like history, so they would come in, oh, oh, oh a bunch of dates. And I never taught it that way. I always taught it as a as a process. And I think it's really more it's important uh to look at the process of things rather than the details. And that I've definitely learned in uh, therapy. It's, you know, when you and somebody are having the same argument over and over and over about not taking out the trash, half the time it's not taken out the trash. It's about the, that's the details or the subject matter. But what it really is about is who has the power and who's doing more work than the other one. So when the coup, attempted coup, happened, I was horrified. I was standing in line waiting for my first COVID shot. And I really couldn't believe it was so surreal that that was happening on the campus of um, the Capitol. And then there was a part of me that also grew up during the uh, 60s and 70s when there were mainly, you know, demonstrations against voting rights or the lack thereof and Vietnam War and everything. So at first I thought, well, it was just, you know, a demonstration got out of hand. And when I realized how serious it was, and it continues to be unfolding, I sank into first depression, then anger, and um, horror that greed has become such a topic in our culture that that's more important than anything else um, in a lot of people's minds. And then with the overturning of this uh, 50-year-old precedent, I don't want to get into the subject matter, but the fact that I grew up while I was teaching school (laughs) at the age of 21 and 22, where I was told to go home and change my clothes as a teacher during work week because I had on a pair of wonderful polyester pants. I had a pantsuit outfit, of course, made out of polyester. And I had worn the shirt in many times, but this time I had the the jacket on and the pants, and the shirt was tucked in. And they saw that I had a fake fly in the front, and they sent me home, said, you can't wear that, it looks like man's trousers. And I said, well, I've worn it many times, but I knew to leave the campus because I was so angry, I was probably going to get fired if I said anything. So I said, okay, it was a teacher work day. We didn't have any kids. And I said, okay, I'll go home, but I'm not coming back today. Now, it put my poor husband in a, a bad position because he was school attorney. But I was not going to keep my mouth shut on this. And I feel as if I kind of clawed my way out of having a few more rights. And so this this precedent being overturned really hit me because as a new bride and a new teacher, that was all happening about the same time, early 70s. I couldn't get a credit card in my name. I had to have my husband sign for it to vouch for me, even if I had a job by myself. It you know it just boggles my mind that I lived through a time where I had to get permission from a husband to get any kind of a, a, authority to okay me. Now, that you know, I was used to that as a child but not as a grown woman then transferring that permission from a father to a husband. And finally, I remember we were buying a car and my husband called and said, okay, the loan's ready at the bank. You want to go buy and sign it? And I said, sure. So I went by and signed it and I'll never forget this gentleman who was the banker. And he looked at me, and he said, whose title, whose name do you want the title in? And I said, well, I guess my husband, since he's the only one working, and I'm staying at home with our child. He said, you want, you want it in your name? And I said, well, yeah, I was surprised. He said, I'll put it in your name. Now, that was small town banking. And that's how I got a car in my name, just out of the goodwill of this banker. And during those days, it's just, I, it's the way you had to do business. So we women were kind of resigned to it. So I feel like I've kind of clawed my way out of the cave. And now it's like, I can't think of one single law that the government is involved in telling what's, what, what somebody should do with a male body. And I'm feeling really unequal once again. So... How do I get out of that? Because I don't want to stay there. Well, I used the three principles that I was talking about at the earliest earliest point of this broadcast. I thought, okay, what's going on in my mind? What are the messages I'm telling myself? What, how do I, I've got to untangle this mind. And the messages were, some were catastrophic. What I was telling myself was, and I put these on paper, nothing's changed. Women are still going to go back to being somebody's property. Um, life's not fair. There was another one. Um, I can't think of the other one that that that, but they all came kind of from that. And it was like, so I listed those and I began having a conversation with myself about, um, how real they were, whether they were just fear and what, what, uh, um, feelings went along with it fear, anger, um, catastrophizing. And I am one that I have to feel my feelings. I know there are people that say, no, 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 I don't want to talk about it. Don't want to talk about it. I don't dare do that. I have to talk about it because if I don't, it just festers and it gets worse. So I have to feel my feelings. Now, the difference between me today and previously is I don't do something destructive to me or someone else when I'm having those feelings. So I know that much to restrain my tongue, to talk to safe people. But um, I had to put those on paper. What are my ideas that I'm scaring myself with? And how real are they? And, and what can I do to not only get out of the feelings, but maybe help solve a problem the way I would like it solved, and at least have my voice heard? And then at the same time, while I'm going over those thoughts and not letting them take hold and scare myself to death, I have to do my spiritual principles. And that that piece goes along with community as far as I'm concerned. I had to reach out to people and say, you know, I am livid, I am furious, I am scared. I am naming all those feelings and, and talking to people that that feel the same way I do until I can get kind of above the feeling. So I'm not just escalating an insane conversation with somebody. And um, I've had to, you know, converse about that with close friends. I've had to to see what other people were saying in newspapers. I had to watch some hearings. I had to, (laughs) one of the most beautiful things I saw was I had to go through TikTok and, There's a a, a singer that I had never heard of before, had re, I guess, re lyricized, if that's a word, the words, To My Country, Tis Is Thee. And it was so poignant. That allowed me finally to cry. Now, what I teach is that usually we get into all those feelings when we don't feel like we're safe. And that's what this all finally boiled down to for me, is once I did my work, and what am I thinking, and how, how do I get a, a handle on that? What are the spiritual practices that I can do? I can pray, I can write, I can go outside, I can walk, I can uh, meditate. When And I can't do that at first. I'm too agitated. And my body's too electric. But I finally got to the point where I could do that. Uh, I also... One of my meditative practices or my spiritual practices where I get in touch with the invisible is I just stop um, stop doing anything that would be kind of a work environment or um, a thinking environment just for a few minutes and play with my cats, I'll walk around the block, go stand outside and um, Drink some water. You know, previously I never would have put a spiritual practice to be drinking water. But what I, when I do that, I'm remembering that I live in a body. I'm not just a head wandering around, and my body's just not a vehicle to carry around this brilliant mind of mine that gets me into trouble. But that I have to really ground myself in, in, in my body and living here. And then I get into really into nature and i think you know these trees these stones oh they have seen people and civilizations come and go and you know in the grand scheme of things they're still here so it helps ground me and then um like on facebook page i have a private group that i keep very um on target and it's uplifting and it's funny and it's uh Um, inspirational it doesn't get into controversy I don't allow that in there but then my personal page is where I can say just about anything within they don't put me in Facebook jail same with Instagram or TikTok or any of them so I have a vehicle to express some of my feelings and um, you know within a, a proper code of ethics but and then uh, when I use those three pieces and, um, you know, and remembering that the, the community where I have to be of service and I have to ask uh, for support, then I finally come to some semblance of peace. And so it's even if the circumstances on the outside don't change and I, I don't have any kind of power to change it, to make make myself safe because it feels unsafe, Um, I can still feel and express peace in the middle of this chaos. So it's not instant, but um, I can't stand to, to stay in the anger. And for me, that's something I would do. That's where I used to live a lot. And then I can't stand the idea of, of living in severe depression all the time around all this stuff. And so it's taken me a long time to find a formula that will allow me to feel all those feelings, listen to all the fear in my head and all the catastrophizing, and then finally work through the process of being in peace. I don't know whether all that rambling helped you at all, but perhaps if you study the website and um, listen to this again, those three pillars of roadmap to peace and being fresh out of plans might make sense to you. And in the fall, I'll start another class on um, how to work through these three modules and get into that kind of practice. So that you, too, can settle into living in peace and joy and love, even in the midst of chaos. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to The Recovered Therapist, where we keep topics honest, simple, and hopeful. I love you. There's not a damn thing you can do about it. Until next time.